VMware holes, PHP flaws, WordPress bugs, and sextortion. All that and more on the Naked Security Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I am Doug Ameth. He is Paul Ducklin. That is I. We've got a lot to cover today. Paul, we love to start the show with a fun fact, and I don't know if you at one point or another were a Nokia man, but... So good. You know that the tone for Nokia SMSs is just Morse code for SMS? Yeah, Morse code for SMS. I did know that as I was researching these fun facts, because... This, uh, this fact will tie into our This Week in Tech History segment. Uh, this is a fun fact about the uh, old-school Nokia phones, which had a reputation for excellent durability. And among those, the Nokia 3310 handset, circa September 2000, is believed to be the most durable of the bunch. So if you had a Nokia handset around that time, odds are it was the 3310 and it was indestructible. I myself was a Nokia 6110 man. That was uh, that came out in 1998. I remember buying it. I was working at a computer uh, superstore called Circuit City. I was selling computers, and I bought it. Uh, the employee discount. There was a cell phone plan for fifty dollars that uh, gave you seventy daytime minutes and two hundred night and weekend minutes for fifty dollars. And I thought that was a great deal. I had a. I think was it the one after the sixty-two ten? That was Very a good one. Yeah. Phone, and that went missing. And I thought I'm just going to get a cheap phone. And I got, I think it was the 8210, the little tiny one. Yeah. It was like the 3310, but even smaller. And I must say, Doug, that phone had the best voice quality of any phone I've had before or since. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that weird? It's gotten worse somehow. And it had the world's weirdest camera. I think it was 200 kilopixels, the camera. <laughs> I took picture, pictures of beaches I'd visit. And afterwards, I was unable to recognize what the photograph was. <laughs> I'd infer they were beaches because they'd be somewhat browny colored at the bottom and uh-huh. mostly blue at the top. What a hopeless camera. Then people didn't buy phones as cameras, did they? They, no. they bought them to make telephone calls. And yep. that, I must say, it was a superstar. And how often did you have to charge your phone, Doug? Oh, once a month, maybe. Yeah. Uh-huh. <sighs> yep. Let's talk about this uh, this VMware story. This is interesting because as I was reading it, I was like, "What's the big deal?" And then you explained what the big deal was. It's it, it was I was perfectly lured into the uh, the trap of the big deal. Well, the problem with the main bug that we're talking about here, or main bugs, CVE twenty twenty one dash. 22040 and 22041 is that although you need to be a local administrator, basically to have root access already in order to exploit this bug, that root access can be inside a guest virtual machine on the shared computer, not the host. And of course, if you've got a virtual machine in the cloud, you might not know who the is running the other VMs on that physical server. Or even if it's a non-cloud virtual machine server and it's in your company, you might have several different departments who are each expected to keep their data private from each other for GDPR reasons or just common sense reasons. You need to assume that on any 
virtual machine server, say that has 10 VMs running on it, there are going to be 11 different administrator accounts and passwords. One for the host, and one each for each of the guests. And the whole idea is, as the host administrator, you're not supposed to have to worry about the guests. If they're untrustworthy, they're untrustworthy only inside their own VM. And the problem with these bugs is they could lead to what are called guest VM escapes. In other words, somebody who has root access inside one of the pseudo servers could somehow escape from it and manipulate either other guest computers, which might not belong to them, or worse, the host server, which almost certainly means that they can then reach in and fiddle with all the other guests as well anyway. So we've got a patch, and if you can't patch, we have a temporary workaround. So two ways to sidestep this issue at the moment. Yes, the patch is the right way to do it because it's not just these guest escape bugs that you're patching. There are a whole load of other bugs as well. They don't seem to be as serious or severe, but why patch one thing when you can patch seven things at the same time? But like you said, if you can't quite do that yet, for the guest escape bugs, there is a workaround. Unfortunately, as I understand it, it basically means you get no USB simulation or no USB access in your guest VMs. So if you have a guest VM where you expect to be able to emulate USB devices, for example, they're not going to work. Okay, well, that is VMware fixes holes that could allow virtual machine escapes on nakedsecurity.cephos.com. And now we've got a PHP flaw. Yes, it's one of those things where you find yourself thinking, okay, so somebody who's really naughty and who takes the proof of concept could crash my PHP process and that could stop my web server responding until the relevant process gets restarted. Is that a big deal? But the crash is actually caused by deliberately forcing memory mismanagement, in particular a memory use after free, which is where you basically go and poke a knitting needle into somebody else's memory and potentially modify it in a completely untrusted way. When Mozilla issues patches, they are quick to point out that when a bug shows evidence of memory corruption, they say you should, quote, presume that with enough effort, some of these bugs could have been exploited to run arbitrary code. Yes, that is quite right. Because although that might be difficult to achieve, you can imagine that the benefit for a cyber crook who manages to figure it out could be huge. Once you know where to start looking, it's a heck of a lot easier for the bad guys to reverse engineer the exploit from the patch than it is for them to figure it out as a zero-day attack in the first place. So I always warm to Mozilla when they put that in basically every security update they do. They could spend days or weeks on each one of them to prove that it really is exploitable or not. Instead, they just go, you know, we've patched these and we're assuming that if somebody wanted to and you didn't patch, that they could be exploited in the future. So be warned. And the irony, Doug, was that it was essentially incorrectly managed input in a routine that was supposedly all about input validation. <laughs> uh, we shouldn't really laugh. 
No. Uh, fortunately, if you're if you're a PHP user, that's as simple as uh, updating and patching. We've got some advice for programmers, and uh, we do like to say validate thine inputs just in case. But there's other advice here as well. Now, in the article, I've put two diffs. That's code differences by comparing the previous version and the fixed version. In this case, the function deals with checking for validity what are called floating point numbers or decimals, like 2.5 or 3.14159pi, whatever. And another thing you can do is you can say, oh, and I want to make sure whether the number provided falls within a certain range. For example, where somebody is giving a scaling factor, and you might want that scaling factor to run from minus 1 to plus 1. And it turns out that under some circumstances, if you send in input that fails the check, then instead of the check just failing, what happens is the code frees up the memory that you're using to store the number. And then it's supposed to immediately reallocate new storage to store the validated number. In one of the places, that happens correctly. Basically, the programmer does what you might call a look for oncoming traffic if clear, step into the road and cross in one go. And in one of the places, that's the order they do it. In the other place, they've managed to get the three lines of code in the wrong order. And it <laughs> basically goes, step into the road, yeah. check if there's any cars coming, <laughs> and if there aren't, slash, you're still alive, complete the cross <laughs> crossing. Uh, and it looks to me as though what happened is in one part of the code, this error, the, the range checking was added. And then someone obviously, oh, we should put this in, the, in this other similar part of the code. And they copied the line that does the error checking and they simply paste it into the wrong place between the memory free and memory reallocate instead of either before both of them or after both of them. Obviously, it should be before because the idea is if it's an error, you're just going to bail out immediately. So the fix was moving one line of code down, one line in the file. So advice to programmers is, particularly in C, it is easy to make allocation and deallocation errors. And they all matter. So when you're doing a code review, you need to check them all. And the second thing, I think if I were to refactor or rewrite this code, because it's a frequent idiom, if you like, in this particular module, free up the memory, allocate a new block. Why do that in two lines of code? Why not create a function that something like free up and reallocate in one go? That way, the programmer who comes after you can't copy and paste a line of code in between two lines and break things because there's only one line. They can only paste ahead of it or after it. And in this case, either of those would have worked out okay. So the devil is in the details, as they say, Douglas. Very good. All right, that is Irony Alert. PHP fixes security flaw in input validation code on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And we have a WordPress plugin bug, which, okay, it's a bug. We can talk about the bug. But the way the company handled the bug was really impressive, Paul. It's not the most dramatic bug in the world, but it could be problematic, as the company that created it explained. And so I thought it's worth reminding people who are WordPress users who have these particular plugins. There's a free version called Updraft and the premium version, the paid version called Updraft Plus. If you're using those, they're backup plugins that help you look after the content of your site. So that if someone messes something up, you can restore it. The bug could have bad consequences. The problem is that anybody who has 
a login on your site. So it's not an unauthenticated bug, but you know, with many sites, you might have the administrators and you might have dozens or even hundreds of contributors who are allowed to upload and put articles in there and then somebody else has to approve them. Any user who can log into your site could, in theory, if they knew how this bug worked, in one lump, they could just get the whole backup of your whole site. And secondly, when I read the report from the updraft team, I thought, my goodness, although this is a somewhat modest bug and it was quickly fixed, if only more security reports were like this one. Clear, written in plain English, no excuses, and a genuine and believable apology at the end. Even if you don't use this plugin, you might want to go and read this report because I think it's a good example of how you can do security reports well and perhaps win back trust where with a less considered response, you might have had exactly the opposite reaction and actually made your customers feel worse off. All right. That is WordPress backup plugin maker Updraft says you should update. And it is time in the show for this week in tech history. Well, we talked about Nokia earlier in the show. And this week, on February 23rd, 2005, we said hello to the first mobile phone virus. It was a worm called Kabir that affected the Symbian operating system, which was popular on Nokia phones, and spread via Bluetooth to nearby handsets. It didn't actually do true damage other than affecting battery life thanks to constant Bluetooth calling and it was believed to be released by its creators more as a proof of concept or a warning that mobile malware was indeed possible. So, Paul, where were you when Kabir broke out? Well, I was still a Nokia user. This wasn't followed by an absolute deluge of mobile phone malware, possibly to the collective relief of the cybersecurity industry and users, but it was a reminder to all of us that well, here's another operating system that you have to know something about. And boy, Symbian was kind of complicated, Doug. I because remember, you, yeah. If you think Android <laughs> has lots of variants, <laughs> well, with Symbian, it was the, it was the same sort of thing. That it was a fascinating and complicated ecosystem, Symbian. And then, for better or for worse, it just disappeared. I think I read somewhere it was that at its height, it was on like 70% of handsets. Which is why when malware like Kabir came out, there was that sense that, my golly, if the crooks really figure this out, and they really figure out how to make money out of this, we're all doomed because everyone's vulnerable. By good fortune, we, we got a, a few years to think about it <laughs> before mobile malware did become the sort of problem it is today, which I think took more powerful phones suddenly the crooks could go, hey, I don't have to strip down my malware. I don't have to write this super miniature thing that doesn't really do anything. I can just use the same techniques that I would when I'm writing a regular app. I'll just be naughty about it. All right. Well, if we stay in the old school for a little while here, we've got a new sextortion scam that kind of uses an old school tactic that I, for one, have not seen in quite some time. But it's back. Ah, uh, you mean the let's send the entire text of the email, not as an attachment, not as a link that has to be downloaded, but as a pre-rendered, decent resolution inline image. Exactly. Yes, it's an old technique designed to present difficulties, particularly to mail scanning or content scanning software that relies on things like 
linguistic analysis. So the idea is you convert the text in advance into an image so that anyone who wants to do any kind of text scanning or natural language processing on it, or indeed to look for any links that are in there, has to do some kind of text recognition first, which is not only error prone, it also adds a whole load of extra computational complexity to pre-process every image into text. So it sort of died out with Crooks, I think, because when you have an image, you can't have a clickable link in it easily. On the other hand, if what you want to do is scare the person, present what looks like an official document and say, read this, think about what we're saying to you and email us back and maybe you won't be charged with these serious criminal offences, in this case allegedly related to viewing of online porn, contact us and maybe you have a good explanation as to why this might have happened innocently. We're all ears. Oh, by the way, you have 72 hours. So it's a nasty trick because in this case, an image is absolutely fine. You're not looking for the person to click, I reject your copyright infringement notice, like the copyright scammers do. And the verbiage is, it's your choice, but there may be something you wish to say in your defence. Here's the email address. I mean, you should catch this because to those of us who've had any number of these before, they all kind of look a bit the same. They've all got the same dramatic story in them. They've all got crazy mistakes if you know what to look for. Like this one, the person you have to email, investigating officer you have to email, isn't just Sergeant so-and-so or Inspector so-and-so. It is the Director General of the French Police. And the email, amazingly, comes from a person called Jean-Luc Godard, who... <laughs> he is in his 90s now, I believe, and he is a, a very famous neo-Marxist French cinematographer. <laughs> so I was surprised to... I was, he's very, very well known. He made some amazing films. But I was surprised to find that in his dotage, he had gone from being yeah. a you know, dramatic filmmaker to a <laughs> serving police officer, but there yeah. you go. But I think the thing the crooks are looking out for here is they don't want a million people to respond, do they, to scams like this? They want to send out a million copies of the message. The pretext here in the message is that, well, obviously, we didn't want to put the gory details of the evidence in this email message, but you may want to contact us to try and clear this up. And you imagine that the crooks, because their goal is they want to draw you in, they want those people who are scared enough or vulnerable enough or uncertain enough that they will actually type in the lengthy email address and that they will reply, then they're looking for what you might call a long game scam, where they'll be in contact with this person over and over and over and over. So the lack of a call to action, click here, put in your password right now so we can drain your credit card, that doesn't matter. The crooks are looking for people whom they can scam for a long period of time in a human-led attack. They don't want a million people to respond. They just want people who've self-selected as those who have been terribly scared. And as you can imagine, because of the subject matter, those vulnerable, those easily scared people, given the subject matter, they're not likely to turn to friends and family to help, are they? hey, we've got you for cyber porn offences. This is yeah. serious. I'm thinking, well, I've been to some websites and I don't think we're dodgy, but who knows what they're connected with? Who knows what they've got? I better find out. 
you're probably going to think, well, maybe I should reply and just see what's going on rather than ask my granddaughter or my uncle or my parents or my best friend. And that's really what these crooks are banking on. And the other thing with the image, of course, it lets them make it look like it's a scanned in official printed document because there's a approved stamp on it. There's a stamp with someone's signature. So we have some advice for the good people here. Uh, we talked a little bit about it. How likely does the message really seem? Uh, we talked about that. If in doubt, don't give it out. We say that a lot. That's, uh, that's probably a good place to start. And you have, um, don't be afraid to check with a trusted source, which is good, because if someone were to come to me as a trusted source, I would do the next thing in your advice, which would be to check online for similar messages reported by other people. So every time someone comes to me and says, I was on Facebook and I saw that this is happening, I go and Google it and I say, no, that is a scam. Yes, you're quite right, Doug, because the reason why we do write these up is precisely so that there is the kind of evidence that you mentioned there. So that if you think, well, I wonder if anyone else is getting these, and then you search, that won't necessarily catch the crooks out, but sometimes it will catch them out because usually it does show up that this was obviously a campaign where somebody is accusing 100 million people <laughs> at the same time of exactly <laughs> the same crime. What's yeah. the chance of that? And so that's a way that you can set your own mind at rest instead of allowing fear, uncertainty, and doubt to eat away at you. All right. That is French speakers blasted by sextortion scams with no text or links on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And as the sun begins to set on our show for this week, we have our Oh No segment. We have a reader question for you, Paul, in regards to our article, Google announces zero-day and Chrome browser update now. Reader Diane MP asks, a fair question. What's the casual, mildly proficient user supposed to do? Checking my Chrome version gives me a number that does not resemble the required one. On Google Play, I just get already installed. If experts can't figure out the complexities of this threat and how to protect against it, well, maybe it's time for people like me to just move on from the computer era. I've been wanting to start painting again anyway, and my phone works just fine independent of, you know, the internet. And to Diane, I would say, Diane, don't go. Don't let this <laughs> kill your joy for being connected to everyone else in the world. But Paul, what do you say to that? The frustration of constantly updating and knowing which version you're supposed to be running. Yes, I was very sympathetic with that comment. I can't remember how I exactly responded now. I think I just said, look, here's the official way that you find out. And it works on your mobile phone and on a regular browser and your laptop. So I was very sympathetic to Diane. I figure, Diane, if you're listening, maybe take more time to paint. I was going to say, Diane, do paint, but yeah. don't move on from the computer era. I wouldn't you throw your both. phone away, yeah. but sadly, it is true that sometimes even companies that pride themselves on being able to find needles in haystacks and present them to us to our amazement, like the next video Google recommends to you and you think how did they know but yet when it comes to giving you a version number it's like extra super complicated and unfortunately for every app that you update and for every app you use there tends to be a different way to find the one true version number 
a different way to look up online what the real, true, current, patched version number is. Sometimes you just have to run around the houses a bit trying to work out what the right version is to see whether you've got it. Or come to a site like nakedsecurity.sophos.com, to be honest. That's one of the things we aim to do where there are simple answers, we'll try and give them to you. And then if there are anomalies or exceptions or weird things around the edge, you can ask through our comments in the Naked Security community and we will do our best to answer for you if we can. But the yeah, fact that sometimes it's a hassle for us. Yeah, it's not just you, Diane. Feel it's, it's no, it is absolutely frustrating isn't. and confusing for everyone. So Fortunately, you will find on Naked Security when you ask questions like that, that people will chip in. Hang in there, Diane. Well, if you have an oh no you'd like to submit, we'd love to read it on the podcast. You can email tips at sophos.com. You can comment on any one of our articles like Diane did, or you can hit us up on social at Naked Security. That's our show for today. Thanks very much for listening. For Paul Ducklin, I'm Doug Amath, reminding you until next time to stay, stay secure. secure.